I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Today's guest is my longtime ally in happiness and my dear friend, Mark Williamson. Mark is the founding director of Action for Happiness, a movement of people taking action to create a happier and kinder world. With an active community of over a million supporters, he is passionate about creating a more balanced, caring society that focuses more on helping people and communities to thrive. In that sense, Mark and I share the same goal in bringing awareness of how to be happy to the masses. Like myself, Mark is an engineer. He also holds an MBA and a PhD in engineering, which has given us great parallels in our approaches to spreading happiness. Mark is a dear friend, and every time we speak, he drops those interestingly well-thought gold nuggets of wisdom that I think you will enjoy. Hello, my friend. Hey, Mark, it's been such a long time. It's been, what, four years now, three years and a half? Yeah, three years, yeah. Well, I'm definitely in working from home mode and have been for some time now. So I want to talk about what matters, you know, exploring what matters. But I first want to introduce you to my audience as the friend that I got to know you. So if you remember the first time we met, I don't remember where, I didn't know anything about London then, but it was in a wonderful train station or something like that, somewhere near your offices, 2017. If I remember correctly, it was March, must be 25th, because I had just finished my talk at the World Happiness Summit, which was on the 18th, launching Solve for Happy. And then we met, and the first thing you told me was how you gave up a career and an engineering background to pursue action for happiness, which was definitely not the London thing to do, if you want. Do you want to tell our listeners about that? It's, you know, something I encourage a lot of people to consider. Thank you, Mo. I had forgotten that we began with that conversation. I loved that meeting with you in London because it, I could feel an immediate rapport and a sense that we were both on the same mission. And of course, your book had already had a huge impact on me at that stage too. I loved that conversation. My background, I, yes, as you say, I was originally an engineer and scientist by training. I had done an engineering degree and ended up in California doing some research work on sort of wireless technology with HP Labs. I was very much in that world. In fact, some of the tech we were doing, I believe, may now be part of what they're looking at for the 5G rollout. So it feels like it may have lived on in some way. But I realised in that period that I was a people person, not a technologist, and wanted to get a, a job that involved more human connection. And I must say, if I'm really honest, even though my family background was not at all materialistic, I've been very conscious that my mum and dad One's a teacher, one's a sort of engineer again, had had a quite a humble background and I'd never felt that we really had material wealth and I, not something I pursued, but I had a sense in me that I wanted to try 
to earn some money, a natural instinct. I love that quote that says, money doesn't make you happy, but everybody wants to find out for themselves. <laughs> I know that's true, actually. <laughs> so I went to take a management consultancy job. I went to what was Anderson Consulting, became Accenture and started using some of that sort of problem solving engineering skills, but rapidly got what I looked for initially, which was the human connection, relational, running teams, complicated projects together. And there's something about that togetherness that has remained a theme in the things I pursue. But of course, as I progressed up that chain, what I found was firstly a huge sense of stress, but also a really a sense of meaninglessness. So I was pursuing corporate targets, doing well in external terms, you know, responsibility, pay, big projects. We did a merger between the London and Johannesburg stock exchanges, which was huge. But Ultimately, I was left feeling empty inside. And that was partly because I didn't really believe that it, what I was doing had any social purpose. But it was more than that. It was about the story we're told about what success is. And an analogy that came to me later was that I'd been running up a ladder really fast, trying to get up the ladder as fast as I can. And with lots of people encouraging me to get up the ladder, but I'd never looked to see what building the ladder was leaning against. And at one point I looked down and went, this is the wrong building. Why do I want, I looked up at some of the partners and senior people above me in that world and just, I don't want to be that person. So that was a wake up call, but it was matched with a very chronic back pain experience I had. So I had, I was quite a sporty person and I had really, really debilitating back pain and was told by the medical establishment that I had a hereditary degenerative spinal disease that would leave me in a wheelchair in my 40s. I'm well into my 40s now and not in a wheelchair, I'm happy to say. And I was also told I had damaged discs and all these problems. And that was really debilitating alongside this stressful job. But my wife, who was retraining to be an osteopath at the time, I think was slightly further down the path to enlightenment than I was. And she helped me see, or in fact introduced me to a book that showed me that a lot of my back pain, which was very real, was actually caused by muscle tension rather than structural problems, which in turn was caused by stress. And I had that classic British male, particularly British male, thing of, I really care what people think about me. I work really hard. I never really talk about my feelings. And what wasn't coming out emotionally was coming out physically. So that was that another big wake up. So I had a sort of lack of meaning combined with severe pain that made me think, I've got to get out of here. So I um, went off to do an MBA thinking, well, I'll change my career path. I did this amazing experience at a school called IMD in Switzerland, which is a wonderfully international business degree. People from 50 different countries, this lovely community. But they, although they talked about leadership, what they really did cleverly was help us meet ourselves. And I had a, a Jungian psychoanalyst for the year. I, you know, we did all this sort of self-exploration and I lifted a lid on my inner life. I having been a left brain engineering kind of guy that had never really got in touch with my feelings and emotions, I suddenly could see another metaphor we used was talking about what are the fish under the table? We're so often having a conversation above the table. What's really underneath the table? Who are you trying to impress? What are you running away from? What are you scared of? Who do you want to be loved by? And how much that not only drives our day-to-day -day behavior, but drives how we behave in groups and in our working lives. And that was a huge wake-up call for me and made me rethink my life. And so although most people go into an MBA thinking I want increased salary and a new job, I came out, took a huge salary cut and decided to pursue something that made me passionate. Initially, that was on climate change and solving our environmental issues. I spent the next sort of seven or eight years doing innovation for something called the Carbon Trust, looking at climate change technologies. But that had begun my journey away from 
chasing the ladder of self-happiness and realizing I was unhappy to a view of how can we help create a happier world. And so that ultimately took me to meeting Richard Layard, to founding the Action for Happiness movement, to all the amazing journey I'm happy to share any of. But hopefully that gives you a taste of how I got there. And all of through that journey, this question has been in my mind, what really matters? I think I had the wrong answer to that, or I had a an incomplete and unhelpful shaped version of that about pleasing others and achieving external success. And what I've discovered and what so many of us are discovering in this current crisis is that what really matters is in many ways the opposite of that. Our listeners may not know you as well as I do, but you are radiating, like you're really, really enjoying this. You're impacting the lives of people. You know, I've seen you in events and how you really make a difference to people. And, you know, you're constantly innovating in an area that is really crucial for the world. You know, Action for Happiness has reached, I don't know to how many countries, but tens of countries around the world with very, very concrete activities. Do you think it paid off? So now that you look back at this move and, you know, with the reduced salary and uh, maybe the different kind of innovation, was that worth it? Absolutely worth it, yes. I'm not going to pretend for a moment that my life is perfect or that I'm full of joy all the time because we're all human and we're all flawed. But I have a general sense that I've grown as a human and become happier and made more of a difference progressively throughout my life. And so far that's continuing. And that's a real blessing. Yeah. Anything that you missed out on is like, I wish I had this, but also fancy Mercedes GL with... uh... Not from a materialistic standpoint. I guess one thing on my mind now is the provision of education for my children. One of our daughters is dealing with some sort of learning and mental health challenges. And I kind of wish that I could solve that all by just paying for her to go to an expensive school that would maybe help with that. But that aside, there's nothing that I want for materially. And I'm very grateful for the chance to pursue my passion as a paid full-time job, albeit not in the way that a commercial consulting job was. So I, I feel grateful for that. But I don't really have regrets. One of my regrets, one of my possible areas where I've considered, am I regretting this, is I spent a long time in that commercial world when I could have been doing more good, for sake of argument. And did I miss a chance there? Did I spend too much of my life in a hedonistic, self-pursuit, impressing others mode? I talk about myself being a recovering people pleaser, but a lot of my life wanting to do what (laughs) others wanted me to do, whether that's parents or peers or teachers and so on. And actually a liberating thing was when I took on this role with Action of Happiness was how many people that I loved and believed in thought it was quite a strange move for me to be leaving other things I'd been successful in and doing this. And you all know yourself how much the narrative around happiness and mental health and well-being has changed. 10, 12 years ago, when I began this journey, lots of people thought I was crazy doing this. But I knew when I stuck with it, despite that, that I was definitely on the path to recovering as a people pleaser and standing up for what I believe in. But to answer that question, I don't regret the time I spent in that world because I feel that I'm better able now to help others, to build a social movement, to have an impact because I learned how to organise things, how to communicate with people, how to explain complicated issues in a in an accessible way, how to understand different perspectives, different stakeholders, that sort of thing. So we are all where we are on our journey for some reason and we can only ever take what we've done and make the best of it really. So the reason I bring that up is you and I both know, and it's not a secret, that 95%, maybe more, of everyone that we meet that's engaged in the modern world is where you were, running through the hedonistic treadmill of the fast-paced life, 
trying to please, trying to acquire things they don't need. And in an interesting way, none of them actually, or most of them never really pause to think about it, to reconsider that there is a different path or an alternative way through life. And actually those who do very quickly go back and say, hold on, hold on, I'm just gonna do this for another five years. I'm gonna save and get a house and then I'll do this and then spend my life doing something I believe in. Why, why do you think this is the case? It's what can we change for people to realize that you have one life that is, I mean, depending on what you believe in, but you have this one life for this lifetime and you know, you might as well live it. It's a really great question. I think partly this involves leaning into uncomfortable questions. When you stop and slow down and stop chasing after the external awards, you have to tune into inner discomfort as well as inner beliefs. Not everyone feels comfortable doing that. Partly, I think that we're living in a safe mode. None of us think about our mortality. We're sort of pretending that life goes on forever. And I think one of the most powerful examples of this is the example of sort of post-traumatic stress versus post-traumatic growth. And although, of course, trauma can be awful and many people are going through a lot of trauma at the moment, there's this distinct thing of post-traumatic growth where people say something like, I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but that cancer diagnosis was actually the best thing that ever happened to me because it helped me reprioritize, wake up to what really matters. So I think there's something about a wake up. I mean, I had this wake up partly through the back pain. I also had an experience. I've had many, many great coaches, therapists, teachers over the years. One guy called Aidan I worked with while I was at the Carbon Trust. And just before I moved into the world of happiness and well-being as a sort of full-time mission. And he did an exercise with me, which I found really profound. And he said, imagine, Mark, you're towards the end of your life. You know, you've retired, you're uh, you're looking back on your time on this earth. You're looking at all the highs and the lows and what you did. Really get yourself into that future mindset. In fact, sit in this seat and hear your future, Mark. And now, future Mark, turn back towards current Mark and just share some advice. What advice will future Mark give to current Mark about what really matters? And I found that a very moving experience. And I, after a bit of a pause, I, I found myself saying, spend more time with the people you love doing things you really care about let go of the other stuff or words to that effect. And, you know, there's nothing new under the sun there. But for me, when I then looked at my life, I was doing lots of things that didn't really matter to impress others. And I was actually not spending as much time with loved ones as I would like to. And I wasn't pursuing the projects that really made my heart sing. So that was one example of waking up. But as I said a bit earlier, I think that we've got with this crisis an opportunity to have a global awakening that we haven't had for at least a generation where many people's lives have been shifted often in very difficult ways but it's asking all of us this question what really matters well actually my time with loved ones matters the work I do does matter but maybe not in the way I thought it did that my connection with the natural world and being outdoors and actually my physical proximity and touch and connection with other people really matters and when that's gone I miss it and so it's sometimes in the face of that trauma that we wake up. Yeah. Believe it or not, I mean, uh, we haven't met since the beginning of the pandemic. So I'm reasonably happy with where I am in life. I've dedicated a big part of my life to what I believe in. And I've had amazing love pouring into my life and enjoyed that and still have. And however, with this, I decided actually within three weeks from today, I'm planning to take a time out completely to reflect, like almost, you know, I don't follow the traditions of uh, spirituality and meditation and practice, but I do them in my own way. So I'm, I'm going to go on a three month silent, mostly silent, let's call it mostly silent retreat. 
It's not silent for three months in a row, but it's basically most of the hours of the day is silent because I will tell you openly, I have to reflect. I've done so much activity in the world and maybe maybe I need to go and sit under a tree or be in a cave or go up a mountain like many people who found enlightenment did. You know, maybe I need to find this silence and space as I call this year. And I, I think this is a call to action to everyone here. Maybe you can't take three months, but I, I think the idea of a few hours of silence a day or a week where you can sit down and reflect is probably overdue. We are human beings, not human doings. And we spend lots of our time doing and not as much being. I found, by the way, I found a hack on that, which has really helped me. I know that I'm a a sort of to-do list led person. I have a process I've developed over many years of how I keep track of the things I need to do and how to prioritize. And I realized that my day was being driven by what I'd said I would do that day. So rather than just having the to-do list items I must help with the family shopping, send this report, answer this question. I now build in how I'd like to be in that list. So every morning has That's take a so pause cool. Tell me more. and do your meditation in the morning. Every evening as my on my to-do list is like, what are you grateful for today? And actually building that to-be list as well as a to-do list has been very helpful. I even have a mantra which uh, makes me laugh every day, which has been helpful for me. So I found that do you know Kristen Neff, who does that work on self-compassion? She's lovely, oh, yes. yeah, lo- yeah. wonderful, wonderful, wonderful uh, thinker and expert on the idea of being kind to ourselves as well as others. And of course, self-care isn't selfish. It's essential if we want to help others as well. But she did this exercise where she talks about how you would speak to a, a loved one in a difficult situation, somebody who felt they'd made a mistake and how your body language and your language to them would be and how I found myself being very compassionate and caring towards that imagined situation and then she said now imagine it's you that's made the mistake or messed up how do you speak to yourself and what I discovered was I say awful things to myself I say you effing idiot you eff that up and I actually use this f word to myself internally quite often and I wanted to reframe that so I have a mantra now which is F-U-C-K, where that stands for friendly, useful, calm, kind. This is how I want to be in the world. So whenever I'm feeling, (laughs) I remind myself that how I want to be in the world is friendly, useful, calm, and kind. And I just find that it's both playful, makes me smile, and also helps guide me. I think that's so profound in a funny way, to be honest. I mean, so first of all, to define that as how you want to be seen in the world is amazing. To remember that this is how you want to be in the world is even more amazing. But to remember this is how you want to be for yourself. I think that is really when it becomes quite profound because you know what? Many of us are friendly and useful and calm and kind when we deal with others, whether that's exactly how we feel inside or not, maybe sometimes yes and sometimes no. But then when it comes to ourselves, we sometimes rage against our mistakes and, you know, sometimes waste our own essence of life itself by putting our lives in areas that don't matter, which is quite interesting. I think this would take me to Action for Happiness because you know how huge of a fan I am for what you're doing. And I love the idea of exploring what matters. Do you want to talk to us about that a little bit? So first tell the listeners what Action for Happiness is, because I actually want everyone to be part of Action for Happiness. I work with many organizations around the world. This is very effective, very real, led by wonderful people, Mark and Lord Laird. And it really is 
quite an innovative way of creating a community of happiness, which I think is, you know, everyone needs to subscribe to. And there will be one near you somewhere. So tell us about Action for Happiness. Tell us about the idea of exploring what matters. And then we'll see how much time we have to explore every part of it. Honestly, I'd like to do a lot of conversation about that. Well, thank you. I'm really grateful to you for using that word community. We have sort of talked about building a movement. I mean, I think you have perhaps more than anyone of building a global movement to try and make people happier. But there were so many wonderful contributors to that globally. But yes, I think the word that we have found that best describes what we're doing is building a community of people taking action for a happier world. And that actually is this, well, take a slight step back. I think in our world, we have a lot of very wise self-help, helping people work out how to be happier themselves. And we also have a huge amount of altruistic endeavour wonderful charity work and so on. I think Action for Happiness, this community is at the heart of those two domains because they overlap so profoundly. So self-help is not changing the world if it's not also guided outwards. And altruism isn't sustainable unless it also has a sense of kindness to self. So Action for Happiness is a community of people trying to practice kindness and self-care because these two things relate. It's about me and we together. And so it starts with a personal pledge. You can't change others. You can only really change yourself but the commitment is to live in a way that contributes to a happier world. Of course, that begins with your own practice, whether that's mindfulness, gratitude, sort of general self-care, inner mental health and so on, understanding yourself, some of the things we've already talked about. But it's much more than that. It's how can I create happiness through my role as a parent, as a friend, as a community member, as a colleague or employer, employee, so it's a sort of lifelong commitment. And I found that really profound. So I, for all my flaws and mistakes and challenges, the one thing that now drives me as a guiding light is I want to live and work in a way that creates more happiness in the world. I won't always get that right, but that's the motivation. That's I might misjudge things, make mistakes, but my aim is to make that contribution even in whatever small way I can. And that, I think, is very motivating in a world, especially in a world that in, has both many religions, but also in many people moving towards a secular way of living and I think a direction guided by consumerism, individualism, shopping and accumulation of stuff is a poor match for the principles that are behind all the great religions about something bigger than ourselves. So we're trying to create a secular community that's all faiths and none about this idea of what really matters. So we have 200,000 or so signed up members, an online community of a million and more in 180 countries through the online community. It's still uh, more centred in the UK than elsewhere in the world because that's where we started, but it's rapidly growing globally. And there are sort of three big components to Action of Happiness. One is it's grounded in the scientific research. So although it's the human stories and the personal conviction that really matters, this is not hearsay, it's not speculation, it's not grandmotherly wisdom. It's grounded in what we learn from psychology, neuroscience, behavioural science. But we're trying to adapt that into something that's usable and practical. And then the two things that we do with the Action Happiness community, one is to try and reach lots and lots of people with little ideas that can make a difference. This idea that every small action, especially in combination, can have a really big impact. So we have monthly themes all year round, daily actions all year round, an app which has hundreds of thousands of users, these calendars with the monthly themes and actions on that reach millions of people and are used all the time. And that's a great way of connecting people with this journey. But the Exploring What Matters that you mentioned is the name of a course, and it's at the heart of what we really want to do, which is bring people together. So I've talked about this togetherness. And if I was to paraphrase the mission of Action of Happiness in one phrase, I might say a happier world through helping each other. 
what we want is a happier world and the way we get there is through helping each other. It's about self and others in harmony. So the Exploring Matters experience is a group experience. About 15 people get together. It's led by volunteers, not experts, not psychologists, not teachers that you will learn from. It's a peer-to-peer experience. But it's guided, right? So they use some kind of a script to guide the conversation. It's It's guided and it's grounded in that science. But actually, the life-changing things happen not when you get told a wonderful insight or you get taught a new skill. It comes actually through a shared human experience where people reflect and talk together about their experience. So you might have the nudge or the prompt from the course about what makes for good relationships, but it's actually when a group shares on a, not in group therapy, but in an open, friendly way about their experience of relationship, how they stay in touch, how they deal with conflict in that room, that it has that sort of electric experience of humans having conversations that matter. We spend so much of our lives talking about shopping, sport, weather, especially in Britain, um, (laughs) and not enough of our lives having these conversations that matter. So that's part of the aim of this. And we talk about it doing three things. Tune in, connect, take action is our model. Tune in means sort of wake up to what matters. We use mindfulness, we use gratitude. Connect is then doing that with others face-to-face. And take action is, okay, you've had a great conversation, you've been inspired, don't leave it there because that's not action for happiness, that's talking for happiness. The last point is what will you now do? So every week, every session, people write down what they'll do, the specific action. We say, well, tell somebody what it is, write it down, put it in your diary, put it in your phone. How will you remind yourself? Because it's these little behavior changes, like my to-be list, if you like, or the, the mantra that I mentioned earlier. These little habits, once they become embedded, are the things that lead to lasting change. One of the things that I loved, I don't remember when we spoke about this, but there was always that analogy to religion and the fact that I don't hide that I'm religious in many ways, but I believe that in so many religions, and I actually believe that every belief that you have and take action to follow is a religion. If you're a Christian who is a capitalist that wants to make a lot of money, then you're in two religions here, right? One is you're Christian and the other is you're a capitalist. If, by the way, you're also following Manchester United, then that's another religion. And and I think what we do is we sort of taboo the idea of, no, 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 hold on, there are beliefs that are actually worth taking constant action for. And one of the analogies I loved that I learned from you was the analogy to the church and the idea that to change a nation, to change a society, to change a people, you have that repetition. You have to get together every Sunday and talk about something that matters. Interesting way, this is very similar to what Action for Happiness does. It gives us how many weeks is normally, would groups normally get together for? So the model is an eight week course and then followed by monthly get-togethers from then on. So it starts as quite an intensive process and then moves to being monthly, following the monthly themes that we have going on all year round. So I wouldn't for a moment want to suggest that we are creating a replacement <laughs> for church because that sounds far too cult-like. I like like the and... happiness religion. I like that. And keep your other religion too, right? Mm. Yeah. So you can be any religion you believe in, including atheism and a happiness believer as I well. I agree. And... I grew up in a very religious family and I have massive respect for all the great faiths. I just want to have something that is inclusive and represents our common humanity in this whole area rather than being you're in, you're out. And so as a lot of the secular West has walked away from organised religion, it has let go of some really important things for our well-being, togetherness, purposeful conversations, a sense of wonder and awe and being part of something bigger 
a chance to pause and reflect. I mean, of course, prayer is a form of meditation and all these things. So there's lots of habits around religious practice, which are wonderful for our well-being. And it should be possible to do for all faiths and none in a secular context as much as that a particular religious view. So I'm grateful for you mentioning that. I have one more question for you. And before I do that, as I always do, I try to remind my listeners that we are on a mission to make the world happier. So if you're enjoying the conversation with Mark, then I'm sure he inspired you with a few things like he inspires me every time we meet. So spread the word, please tell others, tell them what you learned, tell them about slow-mo, tell them about Action for Happiness. Do subscribe to Action for Happiness. Take action and help us spread our message of happiness so that we can reach a billion people, hopefully in a few years to come. Mark, so you've, you've made a massive change to your life. And you've invested basically a lifetime in making others happy. So I want to take that same question that your coach or advisor told you and say, if you in 700 years time, I wish you a very long life, looked back and said, here are the things I'm proudest or happiest about, what would those be? Is that question retrospectively about the life so far or the life that I hope to continue living? I'd say both. I was thinking of the life you continue living, but I think the life so far is an exercise of gratitude that would be wonderful to share as well. I'm pausing because it's such a big question. Mm -hmm. Probably the most important ever, I think. But it's also a question that's easy to cop out of or give a rather sort of... No, we don't. Utopian answer that doesn't really help. I think that I would like to be able to look back at my life and say that when I've made those decisions in my life about parenting, about priorities, about money, relationships, whatever it is, that it's been guided by a desire to be a force for good in the world, to create more happiness. That may be about my own happiness and the joy I have, for example, in riding my bike. I went out for a beautiful 6 a.m bike ride this morning and I love that and I'm grateful that I have created a habit that allows me to have that me time my meditation on two wheels as I think of it but I think I will be pleased if I can have helped leave a legacy to my own direct loved ones my children in particular I have three children who I like every parent you know worry about what I'm able to pass on and uh, all my imperfections as a father especially with home learning in lockdown And just to be able to pass on some of this. And so occasionally when I see my kids play back to me some of the the messages of action happiness, about kindness, about what matters, it's really rewarding. And in some ways that's the most powerful thing. But I hope that I will have been able to continue living a healthy and happy life personally, but to have had those little ripples. We'd all love to have a profound impact on all the world. And if that is possible, I would love to have helped as many people as possible. But I'm not as egotistical or utopian to believe that I will necessarily change millions of lives. I love your ambition with affecting billions. And I know that that's a collective endeavour to enlist and support so many others to contribute to that. But I really believe in the principle behind your idea of that we each have a ripple effect. So I would like my ripples to be as positive and powerful as they can in the immediate world around me and hope and believe that in doing so, there'll be other people who then carry on both this work and this mission beyond my time, but also amplify it and take it to new parts of the world and new areas. And so I see success in that sense as a very much a collective human endeavour. In fact, it reminds me of one thing I did want to share, which we haven't really touched on, but I feel there's a real 
this is a crisis point for humanity in a sense, not because of the health crisis, but because of this question of how we conceive of ourselves as humans and our relationship with each other. And there's these common humanity that we all share, the mutual love, the kind of sense of purpose. And what was at the beginning of the COVID crisis, the outpouring of kindness and togetherness was really profound. We're all in this together. It threatens all of us, rich and poor, wherever you are in the world. But of course, what's re-emerging as we're coming out of lockdown and we're having different views on all these different aspects is this polarization the sort of you in my camp or you in that camp it's us versus them whether that's in the US political system or the Brexit debate in the UK or or even the views on lockdown or not lockdown we're increasingly in a world where we can't hear each other and I want to help contribute to a world where we can disagree but still listen we can disagree and still care for each other we can disagree and still show love and compassion because at the moment it seems that if you disagree you're sort of making a value judgment on that person being a bad person. And that's just, those two things don't need to overlap. We can have different views while still respecting and caring for each other. And that, I just think, is the heart of our human challenge right now. You're such an amazing person to have on one side, Mark. I am, I'll tell you, hands down, I noted quite a few of your remarks today that I think are quite inspiring for me and I hope inspiring for others. I think you always underestimate your impact. I think you're, you are changing the lives of millions because believe it or not, through six degrees of separation, 200,000 active members will be billions, hopefully in your lifetime. And hopefully each and every one of us and them will contribute to a better world where we do listen to each other. Because honestly, this is truly at this juncture in our world, this is truly what matters. I will close by saying, regards to your amazing wife that supported you to take this shift. Because I will say to everyone here that while Mark takes that big risk, you know, the way we support our partners to actually pursue their passion in life, to pursue a life that is not anchored in the little things. I I had that conversation with Lynn Twist a few weeks ago around the idea of how she and her partner supported each other for her to be able to be one of the biggest fundraisers on the planet. And I think this idea of us actually seeing what matters, not only to us, but only to our partners in life, is something that I I believe is truly amazing. And we wouldn't be able to do what we do if we were not supported by the ones we love. I couldn't agree more, Mo. And in fact, when I was thinking of taking on this role and moving from my other role, Kate, my wife, said something which has always stayed with me. She said, now, listen, sunshine, if you're going to take on this director of happiness thing, whatever the hell that is, but you come home at 10 p.m. miserable every night, that isn't worth (laughs) it. So she just kept me grounded. And she always has a lovely sign by the back door of her house that just says, happy wife, happy life. (laughs) (laughs) Wise, 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 Kate. (laughs) Uh, Mark, I'm so grateful for your time. It's always, always a pleasure. Lovely to see you, Mo. Keep up the inspiring work. You are really changing the world and you're constantly inspiring and reaching so many people. And I'm just delighted to be part of this journey with you. You're the best. And soon we will be doing something together that I'll be announcing on this podcast for everyone to listen to. Great. Look forward to it. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much. And for all of you who joined us, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow me on social media. Search for mogaudet, slowmo, Soul for Happy or One Billion Happy. I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, there is always time to slow down. Until next time, stay happy.